In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the Sacrament. Amen. We, of course, celebrate Pentecost this weekend, 50 days after the celebration of the Easter Vigil. Each year on Pentecost Sunday, we hear the same first reading. It's the account of Pentecost taken from the second chapter of Acts of the Apostles. Two things about this account I'd like to hone in on this year. First, a common view about this story is that when the Holy Spirit arrived and fell on those gathered in the upper room, they sort of broke out an indiscernible babbling, like the sort of crazy, unrecognizable gift of tongues that are seen in tent revivals. But the text of the story indicates that this is not the case. First, we are told that the disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. Yet, here's the thing. This word for tongues, glossa, can also mean different languages. So another way of translating this passage is that they began to speak in different languages. That's important when we consider what happens as these disciples go forth from the upper room. The crowd responds by saying, then how does each of us hear them in his native language? The crowd doesn't respond, look at these crazy people hissing and babbling in a language we don't understand. No, quite the opposite. The crowd does very much understand the disciples as they have received the Spirit. And what do they understand them saying? Yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. They were speaking words and sentences in different languages about God's mighty acts. That was the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost. A second insight to offer about this passage is that the crowd also says, Are not all these people speaking Galileans? This is important because Galileans were considered to have funny accents. They came from the country of the north in and around the Sea of Galilee. Remember how Nathanael said to Philip, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was, of course, geographically close to the Sea of Galilee. And when Peter denies Jesus as he's put on trial, someone says, Assuredly, this man, too, was with him, for he also is a Galilean. Peter was picked out of the crowd because of his accent. He spoke like a Galilean. It'd be sort of like how we can pick out an accent from New York or Boston or the South, which makes the fact that these funny-talking disciples are now proclaiming God's mighty deeds in different languages all the more astonishing to the crowd. A quick word about our second reading. Since year B is the only time we can hear from this passage of Galatians, we'll concentrate on it rather than the other option from 1 Corinthians. And this excerpt from Galatians 5 is perhaps one of the most misunderstood passages in all of the Bible. In it, Paul presents a contrast between the Spirit and the flesh. Before getting to the passage itself, some background will help. Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians responding to some other Christian missionaries who arrived in Galatia after Paul had visited there. These other missionaries made claims that contrasted what Paul had taught earlier, mainly that Gentiles who wished to become Christians needed to circumcise themselves and obey all of the commands of the Jewish law. These missionaries must have preached something like this, live your life according to the law, and you won't fall victim to vice. But Paul, who was of course raised as a Jew and experienced the law for himself, counters this teaching. Brothers and sisters, live by the Spirit, and you will certainly not gratify the desire of the flesh. That's the first line of the passage this weekend. The contrast is between flesh and spirit. 
And yet we need to understand these two terms on a more global scale. What do I mean? Well, it's easy for us to hear flesh and spirit and imagine the conflict that takes place on an individual level, our bodies at war with our spirits. Yet Paul was thinking on a much bigger level here. When he speaks of the flesh, he's not talking about how our bodies are evil and corrupt. No, he's thinking of the flesh as more of the spirit of the world, or as scripture scholar Marion Swords describes it, the aggressively malicious power that can reside in a human community. It's why the works of the flesh that he lists doesn't just include sexual sins, but also rivalry, jealousy, dissension, and faction. In contrast to this malicious power is the divine power, the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is something that resides above the law, and Paul's whole point here in response to the missionaries who say the law is the only way is this. The more you live your life guided by, or literally walking by, the Spirit, the less you'll need to be given rules to follow. If we live in the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit. Lastly, as we did with the second reading, we'll choose the second option for the Gospel, that being John 15 and 16, since it's the only year of the cycle when it's available to be chosen. But here's the thing, it's very straightforward. Jesus is once again at the Last Supper, talking at length with his closest followers, and he promises to send them a paraclete, a defense attorney, to assist them when they experience hate. And although this analogy doesn't quite apply because Jesus didn't retire per se, it's sort of like a retirement speech. Jesus knows that he's not going to be with this group nearly as often as before, and so he wants to leave them with something. The Advocate. The Holy Spirit. His Spirit. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this Pentecost Sunday in year B. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.